This is Walk the Walk, the only place to learn from the best black icons in the business. Hello and welcome back to episode 7 of Walk the Walk podcast. I'm Hannah Nakani and each week I'm interviewing inspiring black icons from different industries to find out how they really learned to walk the walk in their career. So far I've interviewed incredible guests from BBC Radio 1 Extra, Gymshark's Head of Social Content and last week's rising star Shani Mears, co-founder and Head of Talent at The Elephant Room. Three weeks ago I was added to Forbes 30 Under 30 list, or as my mum likes to call it, the Business Oscars. But the celebration was even sweeter when I discovered my friend and this week's guest, Nicole Krenstel, was also featured in the arts and culture section. Nicole, to me, is a true icon. She dedicates her career to helping black women and non-binary people find a platform to succeed. As CEO, fashion icon and angel investor, Nicole is shaping the culture of tomorrow for the black community. While living every young girl's dream, featuring regularly in Vogue, Glamour and Cosmopolitan magazine, now, please like, follow, subscribe, tell all your friends, and let's get ready to meet Forbes' newest 30 under 30 member, Nicole Krenstil. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to Walk the Walk podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me and for giving up your time to talk to me about your career journey. I'm going to jump straight into the questions and help people get to know you a little bit better. And one thing I'd love to start with is whenever I see your content or I speak to you in business world, I always have such a positive energy from you. I laugh hysterically at your Instagram content continuously. I think I'm just like reacting in your DMs daily. Someone who's so busy, where do you find all your motivation and energy? Because you're always on, it seems. <laughs> Thank you. No, but I always say... um, do the things that make you happy and do the things that you're proud of and proud about doing too. Um, I just have fun on the social platforms that I am on. I try to be as authentic as ever. I don't try to do things that just feel out of character because I feel like that takes more work and who has the time to do more work. I don't know. I think I found like a schedule that works. And I think because what working from home, I've kind of kind of found a routine that's kind of a mixture of like, I get up, I do my thing. If it's a sunny day, I probably post about it. Or if I've got some content that I've pre-made that's coming up, I kind of let people know. Or I don't know, I don't think too much about the content. I think a lot of people are like really like scheduled and planned. And I'm just like, I'm going to watch this TV show. I'm going to post about it because I think it's funny. And <laughs> I just think taking people on that journey is, is where you can kind of build really authentic um, relationships with people but also build really authentic content um it's the equivalent of what I would do if when things were opened up I would you know show the people that I'm going for a walk to the train station I'm running in between meetings or I'm going to take a quick break in this cost of coffee and look at emails and I think sometimes um you know taking people on that journey and taking people with you is how people can really relate to your life and what you do and what your day looks like and I guess with not being able to move around as much being at home I was just thinking more and more about like well what am I doing at home like I'm doing what you're doing which is sitting there <laughs> watching tv and and chilling chatting to your friends maybe looking at funny memes um and then sometimes I'm just like flat out working so yeah I think it's just giving a really honest and authentic approach as to what I'm actually doing and I think that's probably what what seems like a lot but really it's what it's what I would do anyway anything more is where I'm like doing I'm doing too much but 
what I would normally do is what you currently see. I love the idea of taking people with you on the journey because it's so easy for people to forget you are just human. You are a normal everyday human that has a business and a job and things to do. And it makes you so accessible (laughs) and approachable in that sense. Because I think so often social media can just be so polished. Mm. And I do love it when people are actually like, no, I'm just honestly eating spaghetti hoops and I'm watching Made in Chelsea. I'm not doing anything. Please. I am normal. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. We're all human beings behind these platforms. And I think when things are too polished and too too neat it just becomes very like strange yeah and when you're not always on what are you doing to unwind and to relax and switch off I want to say something really profound like reading a good book but I'm just watching tv shows (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a lover of 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 films and tv shows and and series and I'm just so inspired by kind of media in that way so I am probably plugged into one of my favorite shows but mainly I think for me I'm I'm really good at like plugging out I'm really good at the kind of just completely disconnecting and just doing my own thing and not really caring what's going on in the world being in my own world um that's kind of really how I've been doing it and even more so now being at home I'm just constantly thinking about ways in which I can completely step away from um realizing that I kind of have an open plan living room area work area means that I've kind of created zones in my apartment so that if I'm not working, I'm on the sofa. If I am working, I'm at a desk. And that helps to create some system to the current state of affairs. But it's really helpful because it means that I can kind of segment where I physically am in the space with where I, what I'm doing, with what I'm doing. I think it's really important to create that separation in space. We've all got to this point where we just feel like we live at work. Our homes are no longer safe, lovely, relaxing, relaxing spaces. Mm. And so I think it's so key to do exactly that you know, when you're at work, create a work environment. When you're not, completely switch it up so you Mm. actually feel like you can take a breath and switch off properly. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know that you're Ghanaian, proudly Ghanaian, (laughs) and I always love seeing all of your trips and talks around your heritage and culture. Lots of people listening may never have been to West Africa, and I always like to try and inspire people to think of places they may not have known about or thought about traveling to. Mm. What are your favorite things? things about Ghana and West Africa? Ooh, my favourite things. I mean, I was born in Ghana. So for me, it's, there's this big kind of identity and connection to my heritage that revolves around going back to Ghana and my experience with Ghana. It's as well because for me, it feels like as a kid, I had all these memories that I've just completely forgotten about because I've just assimilated to the UK and I've just been so disconnected for so long. So for me, the experience is is far deeper than just a normal holiday or so I can kind of give the perspective of like what to expect, but also really for anyone that's trying to reconnect with their mother country or with their heritage, it's far deeper. But the top level stuff, I mean, it's the most fun. It's Ghanaians are so welcoming and kind and friendly and open and the culture there is really about kind of togetherness and breaking bread and enjoyment and, you know, having a good time. And so if that's the kind of thing that you want, a mixture of relaxation, a mixture of um, reconnecting with or being connected to a specific culture that is at the core welcoming and kind, um, then being in Ghana is the place to be. And on top of that, what we've seen more and more in terms of 
culturally from the diaspora, what Ghana is bringing is such a rich kind of program of events and conversations and music. So it's becoming more, I guess, appealing to our generation who are looking for fun, culture and community. So for anyone that's really interested in kind of exploring West Africa, it's it's knowing that we are kind of a community of people that are still entrenched within culture and heritage, but us also moving with the times are becoming more open. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I love Ghana. Ghana for me is always home and being able to go back is just essentially feeling like going home. It is so nice when you go back to where you're born or where your heritage is from. And I do think it's the moment where you said, you're really starting to find your voice as Ghana because they've got so many events, they've got so many things that are going on. And I feel like you see more now of the beauty of it in marketable terms than really before. I think it was almost like Africa's best kept secret because unless you knew you were from there or you had family there, it wasn't your planned destination of a holiday choice. Mm. And so it became this unknown area. And now I do think the level of events, the level of music, the level of vibrant culture, I mean, the food forever being incredible. <laughs> I think all of a sudden they've decided to let the world into seeing that the best kept secret of Africa, in my eyes. I've got family that are over there and my dad was born in Ghana as well, oh. um, but he moved to South Africa. And I just think going back is just so exciting just because it's impossible to relate it to what we live in now. Mm. It's just so different. Mm. And I think a huge part of our culture and heritage is obviously our hair. I love talking about Afro hair because it can be the most political topic in the world that some people just will never understand. The confusion of people looking at me going, is that your real hair? You, you don't need to ask. I, I didn't ask you <laughs> if your hair was naturally blonde, but thank you for doing it. <laughs> You inspire me because you really embrace your natural hair. You took the decision and the leap of faith to cut your hair off. And I think it's something that I really would love to talk about because for me, mm. I was terrified of Afro hair for years. I relaxed it, straightened the hell out of it. it. It wasn't, I just lost my identity in terms of my celebration of what that brought for me. Mm. And when I look at your content and when I've spoken to you and when I look at different things that you're partnering on, I always feel like actually you've put the joy back in for me personally into oh. really celebrating natural hair. I say this as I have a weave in. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that, but it's more that I didn't know what to do. Mm. And I didn't have growing up many icons with amazing black hair in different natural hairstyles or even with weaves like this is still really new to me to aspire mm -hmm. to to follow and so I'd love to know what made you take the leap of faith that many will think it is to cut all your hair off and now you're going through a new hair journey which is exciting <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean I, I went through a period where um you know when I was going natural I think it was like 2015 14 15 and um at that time, the natural hair movement was also taking, you know, precedent. Everyone was wanting to go natural. It was also not just um, a thing that black women were doing to their hair. It was also a statement they were making about who they were and how woke they were and the kind of conversations that they were having. And I just felt like it was all a bit too much. I felt like I didn't have any control. I felt like I had to only do one thing with my hair. 
And I remember I had a moment where I was just like, actually, the most powerful thing about being a black woman is that I can do anything with my hair whenever I want, and it will just come back to whatever shape it was. And it's just the most powerful and freeing thing. And I felt like the natural hair movement wasn't allowing me to be a part of that and to do what I wanted with my hair. So I kind of almost kind of liberated myself within that space and said, you know what, I've always wanted to cut my hair. I've always wanted a pixie cut. I've always wanted to color it and dye it. So I just did everything. I did everything within succession. I just, I cut it, I permed it, I cut it in a pixie, I shaved it all off, and now I'm growing it back just so I can kind of dye it blonde. And um, regardless of why and how I made those changes, being in control of my hair story is the, the whole the whole gist of what I'm doing, really. It's, it's knowing that I have the power to do what I want with my hair to make looks beautiful, to try new styles and look good in those new styles. And no one can dictate basically against that because I believe I look good and I believe that this is what black women can do. So I'm going to do it. Um, and that was really the reasoning behind it. I just felt like I needed and I wanted to have more control. And I think as well for any young black girl who has grown up where majorly like mothers or salon hairdressers were the ones who were doing your hair where you felt like you had no control it's also kind of liberating in itself to say like I'm gonna do what I want with my hair and I'm gonna just take back the control to make myself feel beautiful as opposed to you know we've all previously heard salon owners talk about hairdressers talk about you know how difficult our hair is to work with and how sometimes they would make you come with um your hair already permed just to get box braids and you know say the most ridiculous things that make you feel inadequate that make you feel like there's a problem with you with you and your hair when really for them it's just difficult or hard for them to manage because it's thicker or longer or has a different kind of curl pattern that they're not used to working with um so I think there was a lot of negative connotations growing up with like how my hair was and what it what can be done with it and so going natural was the first stage but also I took it another step further and said well if I can go natural I can do other things I can just have more fun and I can experiment and um so yeah that's really what I've been doing and then I've done yeah I do love that you're so brave in experimenting, but I think you're so right in terms of taking back that control. We have the best hair type in the world. Like Mm. we can be bleach blonde one day, no hair the other day, wigs the next day. You know, I have so many wigs. People don't even know what my real hair looks like. It's so confusing. (laughs) And I'm just really grateful that now I have social media that I think is proudly full of so much representation of people confidently owning who they are and owning their hair journey. So I'm here for it the whole way. Now, I'm probably going to talk about your career for six hours. It'll be the longest podcast we've ever been part of. (laughs) But you are extremely creative and you have amazing entrepreneur skills, social media platforms, a personal style that everyone should die for. (laughs) You come from a very heavy design and marketing background. But I guess what was interesting for me is you've got a degree and you've had so many amazing jobs. What would you say is the moment where you felt like your career actually started? I think everyone has that moment where they think, that's when I worked out what I wanted to do. And that's where I believe everything stems from. What would that moment be for you? I would definitely say that moment came from 2016 when I launched the Unmasked Women project, the exhibition that I had. Um, it was my first time really doing a lot of that work in the curatorial space, in the art space, in the event space. I was wigging it. I was just like so passionate about what I was doing. 
I was just taking my time. I was at that time, you know, everyone had a side hustle. Nobody was trying to change their side hustle into a business. We just did stuff on the side of our full-time jobs. And it was really for me to stay creative and have ownership of something of my own. And I was doing it just, you know, every hour after work, weekends, um, lunch breaks. And it was fun. It was literally the, the, the hustle part of the side hustle. It was just making things work, doing things DIY and playing around with it. And I remember when I had an interview for a, um, a bit, bit of press that I got from the project and uh, the journalist was just like, oh, you know, what do we call you? Like, who are you to this project? And for a very long time, I didn't actually realize that I was the one who did curate the show and I did kind of project manage and I did, you know, do all these different things. And um, I think from that moment, I realized that actually a lot of the things I had done meant I built experience, uh, Mm. very good experience in those different kind of fields to be able to go and do more of this stuff, but potentially to go and build a career around it. Um, Nobody really taught me any of those skills. I kind of picked them up, learned, made mistakes, DIY'd, hacked this, did that. And um, I think that was the first time I sat down. I was just like, hey, this could be a career. Didn't know didn't really know but now I see it and I'm these doors have opened up to other people who are doing it and now I can kind of have an idea about what I could potentially be still not really sure about it and not sure whether or not it's something that you know the the, not having enough role models at the time not sure whether or not it's something I could see myself doing forever but definitely a door opened and I was just like okay cool so this is what everyone's doing in here. I think Unmasked as a whole concept was amazing because It literally was an exhibition that challenged the experience of Black British females. It was having conversations and sparking inspiration of things that nobody else was even thinking it was okay to talk about. You know, it Mm. focused on mental health and everyone was like, do we talk about mental health? What do we we mention the word Black British females? Can we say Black? Mm. And I think it was incredibly, I don't even want to say the word brave because it shouldn't have to be brave, but I just think it was an amazing moment that, like you said, nobody else was taking that risk. Nobody else was turning their side hustles into businesses, but also nobody else was starting the conversation in that space, full stop. Mm. Why do you think that there is such a big stigma around talking about mental health, but also talking about, you know, black women and their experience and, and what that means for the world around us? Hmm. I think it's really around the the lack of conversations. It's not really knowing how to address such a big conversation like that, but also not bringing that kind of inclusive conversation where we're actually hearing from different people's experiences and how the world around them affects their well-being and how we can Mm. actually resolve some of that. Um, I think it's it's kind of trying to take a general approach as well we all have minds so we all have mental health and we all have to focus on our well-being but not really understanding the nuance between those who come from various different identities those who are faced with various different kind of barriers challenges so many things in our lives create varying different experiences that add to the spectrum of, of of mental health and I think um, that's sometimes what is what people don't understand or they can't infer. And when, so when I was creating Unmasked Women, you know, I had people who knew of 
what I did and the work that I did and were kind of outwardly like, you know, why are you creating this just for black women? Like, what about white women? And, you know, mm. you know, my dad and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, that is granted. And there are so many conversations, articles, links, events, stuff that is happening to have those conversations. There just isn't enough or any for black women. And so I was just creating something because I didn't see enough of it and I wanted to see more of it. And naturally people who also wanted to see more of it were eager to take part and to, you know, be a part of that conversation. Um, So yeah, I think at that time it was really just like seeing a lack of and trying to add to something um, to then hopefully create a ripple effect and spark that conversation that is necessary to normalize a lot of this stuff. I love the way that you describe it. You can't just put mental health all into the same bucket and be like, great, we have done it for everybody. And it's so true there to identify that different people have different struggles, different challenges, different experiences, different triggers Mm. to what is going to cause them to have different reactions and, and handle it in different ways. And I think you therefore need to drill down into the human part behind the mental health to actually make sure that you are really making a difference because you cannot and shouldn't ever just put everyone into to one one pot really yeah I think one of the things that I I aspire to do more and I look to people like yourself for inspiration is that recently I have just found my voice I think I was always the person who thought should I be the one that says that first or maybe there had been microaggressions that I would be like I'm just, I'm just going to sit at the back. I'm just not going to bring attention to the issue. And now I, I don't care. Like if you want to pronounce my surname wrong, I'm going to tell you how to pronounce it. If you want to touch my hair, you no, don't touch my hair. Like if you want to know about me as a person or me as my heritage, great, we can have those conversations and I'll tell you my opinions. And I think it's one of those things that I aspire to work on more in finding my voice and being such an advocate for those that maybe were me in the past how did you find your voice? Because you've been a huge authority. You're, you've been a consultant. You've worked at different businesses. You know, you sit on so many boards and give your opinion and your voice. And what was the moment that you realized, you know what? I have an authority and I have an important standpoint to share with people on so many matters. I guess it was probably after creating Black Girl Festival um, and seeing the amount of people that we had engaged with um when it was launched and just being kind of taken aback by the response and those who came to attend and those who were supporting on social media that was probably the first time where it was just like oh this is actually potentially a really big thing like this isn't just a one-time thing this is potentially really really big and we need to do something about this um finding my voice I think I definitely feel like Unmasked Women was also the kind of early stages of that it was me just kind of putting myself out there just doing something that I was really passionate about. And then it kind of coming back at me. I did a TEDx straight after launching Black um, Unmasked Women. And then I did another exhibition with Galvin's Takeover of the V&A. And it was just so exciting to see the ripple effect of something that I'd created just kind of taking off and opening so many other doors for me. And I think by way of that, it kind of gave me the experience to understand how my voice really mattered in the space. Um, and how I could shape my voice to make sure that I'm having meaningful conversations mm. with people that matter on topics that matter. And um, that was where I started crafting things a little bit. Um, so when Black Girl Festival was co-founded, it was just like, 
okay, I kind of understand how to make this work and just put everything into that first festival to ensure that when we created it, it was just going to be big and amazing and wonderful. Um, And then from then on, it was just like, oh, okay, right, my voice really matters. What else can I do and how else can I navigate this? Um, So it was like a really nice build up over like 2016, 2017 of trying things out, kind of feeling slightly like an imposter but still just so passionate about putting this out there and then seeing it come back to me in Temple and then being like okay great well I can do more and then that kind of sparking um I guess just igniting like a what was probably laying low within me this desire to take up more space and to have more of a voice and do more basically do more creative stuff that I never felt like I had access to do so um yeah it was that period of time where I was just like light bulb and then battery and then go and do the work yeah (laughs) I think it also leads back to that point you said at the very beginning you know when you're doing something you love it all seems to just fall into place and feel like it fits quite easily because naturally you think right people are responding to this I'm going to take that and grow that part I'm going to leave this part behind this works really well and you mentioned it there about Black Girl Fest. For anybody who doesn't know what Black Girl Fest is, as the co-founder, how would you describe it to those that are new engaging with it? Yeah, sure. So for the last three years, Black Girl Festival has been the home for aspiration and inspiration for all things Black women related. We are a festival of talks, workshops, a marketplace, all for Black women, girls and non-binary people. Um, of recent, we have kind of switched it up and become a platform that is dedicated to our community and are committed to providing access, learning and development for our community to thrive. We're hoping that as things continue to change with the world around us, that we'll be operating both as a physical festival, but also a platform as well. Um, but really, our mission for Black Girl Fest is to create a world where our black women are thriving like we want to see black women winning in every room we incubate and we want to be the the catalyst to to make that happen and support other organizations and grassroots who are also trying to do the same thing as well um we're strong believers in if we win we all win and for us to all win we have to put in that work so yeah we're working on some really really exciting things at the moment and we're hoping that through all the efforts that we've done, we've put in over the last few years, but also all the efforts of our community around us, then we'll be able to see the world that we want to create. Everybody, no matter how old you are or what your background is, everyone wonders where do you fit into this space and this world and what's your role and where do you find like-minded individuals like you to aspire to be? And I love that you've created a space and a community. It's not just a flash in the pan event that people then step back from. And I know that you're always featured in so many articles and I love the way that everyone from Teen Vogue to Harper's Bazaar, you know, they always point out the US has tons of events like this. Brilliant. Good for them. But actually, Black Girl Festival was the first celebration event for Black women and girls specifically. As a Black, young Black woman, I am grateful that people like yourself take the moment to say, you know what, I can't see this. We need it. And Mm. therefore, I'll actually be the person to start it because it's daunting. It's daunting starting Mm. something from scratch. And I think that's one of the things I'd love to ask you more about is, as the co-founder of that business, 
how do you build something with no roadmap? Like you said, you've got visions and you, you see different things that you're taking forward, but where on earth do you start? I mean, you start by just feeding into the community, understanding what they want and need, like what is missing at the moment? What can you plug into and what can you, or what can you add to, or what can you create from scratch? You know, when it was created, you know, I had no experience building a festival of this kind. I had built mm. one event and programmed loads of smaller events around it, but a larger scale event that had like a bigger capacity, bigger expectation, had to feed into so many other different things was just, for me, it was like a logistical dream because I love being operational and making things work and making things move. But for anyone else that doesn't think in that kind of logical way, it might be confusing. It just takes loads of operational planning, a clear vision, a dedicated community that you can kind of feed into and learn from. And I guess the commitment to see it through to the end it's one of those things that it's fun when it's done, but it's tiresome when you have to make it work. But yeah. it's it's one of those ones where it's like it's so the feeling is so fulfilling that you're going to put those hours in to make it work and you're going to want to see it finished, the finished result, really. So, yeah, I guess that's the best way to kind of break down the experience of, of building a festival. But but really, it's about building community. It's community building for a group of people who are eager to be connected you know one of the things we know about black women is that we thrive when we're in spaces together so it was really just an act of creating a space where we can come together safely and doing stuff mm -hmm. and that doing stuff element is the programming it's the what marketplace it's the talks it's the workshops and that was that's really what we're creating we're creating space for things to happen where people can connect but where we can constantly see this sense of aspiration and inspiration within this one one physical space. Um, we see some of those spaces being created online, but we know when it's together in physical spaces, that's where we see real connection yeah. and real community. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the best way to explain it. <laughs> I come from an events background and knowing the difference of just having the talks, I mean, that in inspirational in itself is amazing. But I think the fact that you then go out to have breakout spaces, workshops, and people get to have access to the people that have been on stage, they get to have expert access to the experts and mm. to, to knowledge sources that, like you said, you, you could spend hours learning on the internet, of course you could. But actually, just to have a real life person with lived experiences, with qualifications mm. to help and inspire you in that way, I think that makes such a difference in actually what people then go on to do when they leave the event afterwards. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Is there anything you've learned since uh, launching Black Girl Fest that you have actually thought, God, that really surprised me or shocked you that you thought, actually, I would never have known that have I had I not co-founded this? There are so many different things. I mean, I guess one of the biggest things which makes the most sense is like the cost of like insurance, right? You've got to remember that you're putting on a large scale event for people who you don't know, people who aren't like, you know your little brother or sister who you can just say oh if you could fall over just put a plaster on <laughs> so these people are your responsibility and naturally you have to get insurance to cover in case anything happens you, you never know when something could happen around us or to the people inside the building or you know you have to be protected so going into it it was just like oh okay so how much does insurance cost and then it's like oh okay cool <laughs> um 
as well the cost of venues you know in london specifically they cost a bomb and mm. the bigger your event the more money it's going to cost and so naturally you want to create more space and have more people but you have to be mindful that to to do so in a city like london it's just literally literally just the most expensive place um but you can you kind of learn that real quick when you're speaking to various different um venue owners and venue managers and stuff but it's one of those things that it's just like whoa okay so this is a lot of money okay cool okay <laughs> we would imagine hearing all these things everyone would imagine you think oh god that is a lot to deal with <laughs> no no nicole thinks i'm gonna open a new venture i'm gonna start something new i'm not doing enough on my downtime i'm gonna launch big sis so i know this is in the works and in the process and mm. it's the idea is to have a platform that sort of supports personal development for black women non-binary people looking at specifically creative industries and as you mentioned you know looking at things like grants networking events and i think it's amazingly important to look at how you give back and how you actually help those things grow what is the dream for Big Sis as you start it now? Yeah, I mean, the dream for Big Sis is really to kind of be more embedded within the creative industry as being a space for that community to have access to furthering themselves, really. Personal development for me has always been the way in which I found the space to be the better version of that I, that I want to be in the industry, to learn, to get advice to constantly be developing myself for the better. I also realized that within the industry, I had only gotten to those different points of my career because of other women. And Mm. so Big Sis was really just like a play on that. It's like finding that Big Sis in the industry who isn't anyone who's, you know, Big Sis is a real play on words because really anyone could be a Big Sis because anyone that is, you can look up to or is doing really well or someone, someone who could potentially help you could be that big cis um, representative. And so I really wanted to create a space that is really dedicated to that peer-to-peer learning that is 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 saying that although you are looking somebody else to it as a big cis, you are also a big cis somebody else too. Um, so my dream for that is for us to be able to kind of have more relationships within ver- with various different agencies and partners and organizations within the creative industry and to be actively supporting more and more black women to actually further themselves and to see that being reflected by the work they're doing or the projects they release or the careers they go down um so yeah it's a it's kind of like a side baby project of mine that I'm just really passionate about because like I said it came from like my own experience knowing that a lot of the things that have happened have come from women um but yeah yeah that's currently where I am and you touched upon it there, you know, big sisters are going to be like the role models that don't have to be blood relations, but they're going to become people important in your life. Who would you say are the black icons and role models that you looked up to growing up and, and to that to this day still sort of inspire you? The person who I, I recently just actually talking about today was June Starpong. Um, I guess just seeing her on telly as someone who was a Ghanaian, dark skinned black woman who was just visible. You know, I had no business being in the media, TV, radio industry, nothing like that. But it was just having that visible person who I could relate to that made me feel like, well, if she's doing it, then I can do what I want to do too. Um, so I think that was really important. And as well, just seeing the way that she's been able to like navigate the industry now 
and thinking about the things that she's doing and thinking about the things that I could do and crossing paths actually as well when we both spoke at um we both spoke at the same event um for International Women's Day I think probably like two years ago so that was like a very like real moment of like oh my god someone who I've always looked up to as a role model and then speaking side by side on a panel was just so exciting yeah I'd probably say it's top of my head right now Jun Tapong was someone who I was just like I like what you're, I like the, I like being able to see you this is really cool um I'd love to have that kind of visibility for somebody else even if they didn't want to do what I'm doing now having that visibility is just so so important and if you had words of wisdom and advice to give your younger self now that you have done so many amazing successful moments you are in so many incredible global publications I mean every young girl would dream to be in what words of advice would you give your younger self I have so many words for my younger self but I guess (laughs) the one that comes to mind is to be who you want to be not who they say you should be um and that is really just allowing and reminding myself that there is so much of what society tells black women should be in terms of Mm. how they should dress how they should speak their behavior the way they should present themselves and all of that stuff is rubbish and I think so much of our lives is actually majority of our lives is actually spent trying to conform to what society says and about black women and how we should be but really we should just be ourselves and we should just celebrate ourselves in that in that way um and I actually think if my younger self knew that rather than trying to be this person and that person and trying to fit in here and there, I would have gotten to this point in my life way quicker. But um, I definitely think for anyone who is kind of younger and trying to think about their careers and the things that they want to do and not really not really sure and kind of seeing too much of the wrong things is to just sit down and focus on who you are and celebrate all the amazing things that make you who you are um, and not be kind of just, don't be apologetic about it. Just be completely loud and proud and shine through because it's those people who really make it, not those who are conforming and changing and, and, and unsure. It's those who are sure that they are brilliant and are just running with it. I definitely think it's the moments when you fall off track of the path that everyone said, oh, you should go down here. Mm-hmm. The moment you deviate off that path is honestly it's one of those moments you look back on and think forever, oh God, I'm so glad I did. And finally, we always ask if you have a quote that you live your life by, a motto that every morning you think, this is it, this is what defines me. I was once told everything that you've ever wanted in your life is already yours. It's just about how you go and get it. Um, And I think about that quote often because there are so many things that either I have imposter syndrome over or I'm not sure and I'm doubting and... I always believe everything that's meant for you is for you and will be for you. And um, that's two quotes there. I always try to work on that that level. And, you know, I ponder and I pray and I kind of really focus on those things that are meant for me to ensure that I'm on the right path. Um, but those things that I've already declared that I want for myself are already mine. So I just work really hard to go and make them happen and to go and get them. You certainly do work exceptionally hard and I am so grateful for you taking the time to talk me and the listeners of Walk the Walk through your amazing career journey. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much, Nicole, for reminding us that everything you ever wanted in your life is already yours. It's just about how you go and get it. 
My next guest is going to be Marvin Harrison, CEO and founder of the Dope Black Dads podcast and community network. No stranger to the spotlight, I cannot wait for you to hear all about his career journey in changing the stereotype of young black dads globally. Now, like, follow, subscribe, tell all your friends about the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.